We turn now to the Bible and with the expectation to hear from God, to meet with Christ through his word. We've been studying God's heart for the lost through the ministry of Jesus. We looked at the parable of the two lost sons and we saw the way uh, that that invited us to see God's heart to restore to his family uh, the lost children. And then we look to see how Jesus lived this out in his engagements with people that he met along the way, like Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler and the Samaritan woman at the well. The story we're going to look at today happens after the resurrection. And it's once again a story of Jesus coming alongside of uh, two people, two downhearted people, um, to minister uh, hope and also to find them. So it's the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what, they, what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them 
when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, C.S. Lewis, the author and Christian thinker, uh, was single for most of his life, but eventually he married a woman named Joy. It was a short marriage as Joy was diagnosed with cancer and passed away soon, only a few years really, after they were married. Joy's death hit C.S. Lewis really hard. His grief was so strong that he tried to manage it by avoiding the places that they used to go together. He thought that his sorrow might be lessened if he could make new memories in new places and not be reminded all the time of the missing person beside him. But pretty quickly, Lewis realized that his grief didn't live on certain streets or in certain restaurants or stores. It was more like the gray November sky above. Wherever he went, there it was. Isn't that so true? Grief like the gray sky above. When your heart is broken, it seems to hang over everything. Like a fog, it sucks the color out of the world, and it makes things hard to see. The two travelers in the story we just read know something of the fog of grief. They're walking in it. They went to Jerusalem full of hope. They had hoped that Jesus was the anointed king. They had hoped that he would establish God's kingdom and secure God's, rescue God's people. But then in shock, they watched as their hopes were nailed to a cross. We don't know much about these two travelers on the road. We know they're from Emmaus, likely. We know that one of them is named Cleopas. The other is unidentified. Was she Cleopas's wife or maybe a, a neighbor of Cleopas? Luke doesn't say. It's likely that these two were part of the larger group of disciples, the 120 that had left all to follow. Full of hope, they followed Jesus into Jerusalem, but now they're slumping home in the fog, their hopes dead and buried. That the resurrected Jesus comes alongside of them and spends a day walking in their shoes is an amazing thing, I think, that shouldn't be overlooked. Think about it for a moment. Out of all the places that the resurrected Jesus could have gone, out of all the people that he could, could have appeared to, one would think that Jesus would waltz into the Sanhedrin and give the Jewish leaders a piece of his, piece of his mind. Or maybe that he'd storm the doors of Herod's courts and say, Remember me? But Jesus doesn't head for the halls of power. Instead, he chooses to spend a day walking down some gray country road with two downcast disciples. They don't recognize him at first, which is a little strange. Um, but I suppose it's hard to see clearly when you're living in the fog. What are you two talking about, Jesus asks, as he comes alongside of them. Cleopas is, Cleopas is surprised that Jesus doesn't know what has happened. Are you the only one in Jerusalem? Are you a visitor or something that you don't know what has taken place? There's a bit of irony happening here. Jesus, of course, is well aware of all that has taken place in Jerusalem. It's Cleopas who is short on the details. But for now, Jesus is content to play along. 
What things? he asks. About Jesus, they reply. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. We had hoped that he was the one. But the religious leaders, they handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. And what's more, some of our women in our movement have completely confused us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find Jesus. Angels told him that he, that them that he was alive. A few others went to the tomb too to, to, to see what they could find. And they found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Like a good therapist, Jesus does not interject as these two tell their story. He simply listens. But now that they are done sharing, Jesus shifts from the passive therapist to the passionate teacher. You fools, he says to them. How slow of heart you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have written. I don't know about you, but I find Jesus' response here to be a little jarring. You fools. A couple of things are important to know here. First, Jesus isn't calling these two stupid or anything like that. Rather, out of love, he's, he's confronting their ignorance. They don't know. They're in the dark with respect to God's plan. They are walking home under the gray cloud of grief, and they don't have to be. Over and over again, throughout Jesus' ministry, he has told them what was going to happen. The Son of Man must suffer and be killed by the religious leaders, and three days later, he will rise again. They are walking home under the gray cloud of grief, and they don't have to be. Jesus' response to them seems harsh, but think about it for a moment. If you were basing your life on an incomplete or false story, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want someone to love you enough to step in and interject? Not many of us enjoy being called, called uh, having our ignorance called out, but sometimes it is a grace in disguise. I mean, if I'm poorly investing my retirement funds, then blessed is the financial planner that confronts me and shows me the way. And if I am unknowingly tiptoeing down a path away from God, then blessed is the elder who has the gumption to call me up, confront me, and engage and, and encourage me back onto the narrow way. These two travelers are crying tears of despair when they could be shouting loud hallelujahs. And so Jesus goes right back to the beginning. He opens the scriptures with them and he begins to explain how it all fits together and why it was necessary for the Son of God to be killed and then on the third day to be raised to life. Strangely warmed by the stranger's teaching, Cleopas and his companion, they invite Jesus to come in and to stay for the night. Stay with us, they plead. I love that little, uh, stay with us. It's, it's almost like we want more. Teach us more. This stranger, he knows. Teach us more. And it's there in their house at the table that their eyes are opened. Verse 30. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. I wonder what it was about 
the table and the bread that opened their eyes to Jesus. Maybe these two were in the crowd on the day that Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and fed the 5,000 with it. Maybe they were there in the upper room on the night of the Last Supper and they saw Jesus take bread, bless it, break it, and serve it to all who were present, saying, This is my body broken for you. Whatever the case, it was in the breaking of the bread, after the Bible study on the road, that their eyes were opened. Luke uses the passive voice to describe their coming to sight. Their eyes were opened. It's not as though Cleopas opened his eyes wider or looked closer. It's that, it's that he was given eyes to see. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the word and the bread to open people's eyes. Strangely, Jesus doesn't stick around to celebrate. This doesn't bother Cleopas and his friend, however. They are simply thankful for all that they have received. We're not our hearts burning within us, they say to each other. As he opened the scriptures, we're not our hearts burning within us. And then immediately they get up, they get up out of their seats and they put their shoes back on and they run back to Jerusalem to share the good news with the disciples that they had seen Jesus and that he was made known to them through the breaking of the bread. So that's, that's the story, and that's the encounter. And I find that there are so many layers of meaning and application in this passage, it's almost hard to know where to begin. I want to say a few words about the resurrection itself. I know it's not Easter Sunday, but we can really never hear enough about this dramatic turn of events that has changed the world. It's not always easy to feel or experience Easter hope in our lives today. Like Cleopas and his friend, we are often weighed down by the hopelessness of things. When we read the news, we see powers and principalities fighting for control. When we look in the mirror, we see the passage of time and the wrinkles forming on our faces and the hair falling out or turning gray. In this age of decay, it can be hard to believe that God has triumphed over the powers and has given us victory over sin and death. As was mentioned a few days ago, Brittany's grandpa passed away. As a young man, Bill experienced the horror of war in Indonesia. He lived through the struggle of immigration. I'm sure that there were many days in his life and certainly many days in the last year when he was in and out of the hospital during this, these days of COVID where he felt that the grief of life surrounded him like a gray November sky. But while it's true that in this world we will have trouble, it's also true that above the gray skies shines the resurrected Son of God who sits on the throne. And just as the morning sun burdens away the gray fog, so will Jesus one day return to make us in this world holy and whole again. So on Wednesday, our family will go to Bill's funeral service, and they, there we will probably mourn, and we will feel, too, the power of the age of decay. But we will also tell 
each other the full story about Jesus and his resurrection. And we will also remind each other of the promise he made. Behold, I am making all things new. Grief may hang over everything like a a cloud, but so now does hope. I love how Peter describes this hope in 1 Peter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The living hope that resurrection secures was made known to Cleopas and his partner way back on that first Easter day. But this hope is available to all. The full story is available to all. And I pray that God opens your eyes to it today, for it is for you. The second and final thing I want us to see in this passage fits with the theme we've been talking about all fall, is the example that Jesus himself gives. His way of ministering resurrection hope. As I already mentioned, it's a little strange that Jesus chooses to spend the first whole day of his resurrected life walking seven miles on a country road with two nobodies, people we don't even meet elsewhere in Scripture. You'd think he'd want to leverage the surprise of his resurrection to do something big in the world. Why does Jesus spend a day walking beside two downcast travelers I believe that Jesus, ever the teacher, does this to give his disciples an example to follow. He's showing us what it looks like to minister resurrection hope in a hurting world. It's not about going to Ottawa or Capitol Hill to stage a protest with our Jesus is King signs. To follow the example of our Lord is to get on the road and to journey alongside of others, others who are downcast. It's about listening while you walk along the way. New birth into a living hope comes as we gather alongside of people and open the scriptures. It happens around tables where we break bread together and pray. The Spirit uses these simple things to to open us up, to kindle the flame of hope and those who are in despair. This is how God opens people's eyes. We really see this happening in the ministry uh, and witness of the early church. In the book of Acts, we read a few things about what characterized the early church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to gathering. They put themselves under the apostles' teaching. They studied the scriptures together and all that the apostles had said. They prayed in homes together, and they gathered to break bread. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is how God works. This is how God makes himself known. This is how the hope of the gospel spreads into a hurting world. It's not loud. It's not flashy. It's men and women spending days or time with people walking alongside of them, listening to them, sharing with them the whole story of what Jesus has done. We can't control the Spirit. 
We can't force others to see Jesus as we see Jesus. But when we walk with other people and talk with other people, we can open the Bible with them. We can invite them over for dinner. We can hope and pray that through these things, God will work. And I imagine that you're here today because someone took the time to come alongside of you. Maybe it was your mom or your dad or your parents, a friend, a loved one, a grandparent. They listened. They invited you in and told you the story that gave them hope. And now, now you're invited to participate, to join this company of witnesses who don't do flashy work, but important work of walking alongside those who need hope. Who knows how God will use you? Who knows how God will use us to break through the clouds of sorrow and birth living hope? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we don't want to just learn about this story as, as powerful as it is, and we're so thankful for it. We want, but we want to experience you in our midst. Through the word, and as we head to the table pretty soon, through the sacraments. We pray, Lord, that I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known. And if there are people here today who are downcast, in need of hope, which, of course, we all are, I pray that you open their eyes to see the beauty of what you have done in Christ through his death and the resurrection and will complete one day when you return. Thank you for this hope, Lord, which anchors us in this world of change and decay. We look forward to the day when you will return to make all things new. Until then, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.